Don't at me, but low-key Janet Mock might just be my new house mother. I am talking to the legendary writer, director, storyteller, activist right after the music break. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Don't At Me listeners, wherever and whenever you're listening to it. I'm your host, Justin Simeon, and I'm obsessed with my guest today, Janet Mock. She describes her... I had to go into Oprah mode. That's how excited I am. She describes herself as a feminist tackling stigma through storytelling. She is a writer, activist, producer, a newly minted director with two New York Times bestselling books, Redefining Realness and Surpassing Certainty, which has become my... Book of the week, month, year, life, fine. Most recently, she's the creator of a show that I literally can't stop talking about, which is Pose, which plays on FX. Welcome to the show, Janet. Thanks for having me, Justin. Hi. Hi. I love you. (laughs) I really, really do. Now, if you have to distill who you are, oh my God, we're going to stick with the Oprah thing. Like, who are you? What would it be? What would it be? It would be writer. Writer. Yeah. Or storyteller, I guess, would be more broad. Yeah. Since I've decided to do all these other different things or fell into them. Yeah. Like directing and kind of acting, too. Yeah. Tell me about the acting thing. I didn't know about that. I know. Well, I've always dabbled in, like, on-camera stuff, but Mm -hmm. mostly just as myself. So, like, I I did this little stint on, like, VH1's um, show called Daytime Divas, which was, like, uh, uh, Star Jones's series about her time on The View, basically, starring Vanessa Williams. Yep. And so I came on and just played myself. And so that was, like, my first experience. Mm -hmm. And then other than that was, like, hosting stuff for MSNBC or for Entertainment Tonight. Right. And then it was just, like, casting directors would see stuff. And they're like, will you come in and read? And I'm like, no, I'm not interested. But Carmen Cuba, whom, yeah. who you know, Casting called me director in. for the kids at home, Carmen Cuba. She casted Bad Hair, my, my mm-hmm. latest film. Go yeah, <laughs> and she just called me in for something, and I did it. And it was a great experience, but it's completely different yeah. telling stories as an actor compared to being a writer or a director because right. you have so much more control as a writer-director. I think that's um, why you're like a woman after my own heart because that's, that's, that's my go-to as well as storyteller. Like, mm-hmm. I don't... Even filmmaker feels too narrow because mm-hmm. I don't know. I think since I was a little boy, it was just always about the best way to put all of it together because it didn't make sense the way other people were telling mm-hmm. it to me, you know, the world, the way mm-hmm. life worked. And the only way I could figure it out is to imagine it as pictures. That's how I started. But I couldn't draw worth shit. And so then I was like, oh, so I better write these things down. How did it, like, when did the bulb go off for you? It probably was writing my first crush that I ever had. It felt so completely, like, consuming. Mm -hmm. I love this boy who literally lived next door. Mm -hmm. He was paying no attention to me because at the time I was presenting as a boy. That's how everyone saw me in the world. And so he was a boy who was straight and he liked girls. So Mm -hmm. it was like... He didn't see me as a girl, but I was always like this person he would sit and talk to or like share these like, great revelatory things. And there's all these things that I wanted to tell him in ways that I imagined us together wow. that I started sitting and writing these notes to him. Uh-huh. And I never gave them to him ever, but yeah. it was a way for me to express myself and this all-consuming like romantic da-da-da-da yeah. about him. And um, that's where it really started. I was like, oh, wow, I can express myself in this way, not only for myself, but also feel as if I'm like imagining possibilities 
possibilities that may not mm. be possible right now. Before I realized that writing was a key component to how I told stories, because uh, it's all I had, mm. I would daydream in X-Men characters. <laughs> and I would keep this, I was like, you know, 10 or 12. And I would keep this sort of running, like, soap opera in my head of, like, the X-Men characters. But there was a lot more, like, homosexuality mm. and blackness going on in my X-Men mind. Did you, like, what was your thing growing up? Like, what was your... You know, one of one of my favorite quotes from you is about sort of being half raised by television. Like, mm-hmm. what are the stories that raised you? I would say my so-called life would have been probably the yeah. first one that spoke so clearly to yeah, me. Number sure. one, I think I have a deep well of love stories and romance and romantic mm-hmm. dramas. Mm-hmm. And so for me, Angela Chase's, like, loving on Jordan Catalano just mm-hmm. spoke to me on so many levels. Of course, the girl looked nothing like me. Sure. But still, there was so much about like her interior life yeah, and her interior monologue that she was sharing with us that just made me, you know, she she immediately became one of my favorite white girls. Wow. And then Felicity, similarly, the yeah. same thing. Like Felicity was why I moved to New York City. Wow. Because she also was this girl on a romantic journey, but also to know herself as well, um, that pushed me to like want to go and go to New York City for mm-hmm. the first time. And then in books, it would have it would have to be Their Eyes Were Watching God, which is similarly mm-hmm. yeah. a woman telling her own story. I love that you go right for the classics, too. I'm in <laughs> X-Men right now. Because, uh, you know, I was, I was the, one of the really fun things about listening to Surpassing Certainty is hearing you describe the culture, hearing you describe what's playing, you know, musically in the world, because mm-hmm. we're the same age. And so I'm like, oh, I remember where I was when Rock the Boat I hit the clubs as well. I also had a moment to rock the boat. Wow, we're connected. Um, <laughs> but I love that you were like, you were already more highbrow. I was still, I think at that time, I was still dreaming an X-Men. But, you know, okay, because I'm dying to know everything about you, but I'm going to calm it down for a second, okay. because this is called Don't At Me, which means that we are free to talk about Mm. "Quote unquote controversial topics." Mm. This isn't that controversial. I, I I bet to you and I. But what is what is going on in America? How have you been dealing with the past mm. week? Uh, mm. You know, I don't know when this comes out, but we are still sort of before Brett Kavanaugh goes before a full you know Senate panel to be voted in, mm. uh, and we have just heard Ford's testimony, his testimony. We're in this weird world where Jeff Flake is now sort of kind of on our side. We're not sure what's going on. How have you been dealing with this, and what do you make of it all? Honestly, this entire year, I found found myself just kind of unplugging, to be honest. That's how I've dealt with it. Um, I've had friends reach out and send me digests of stuff just so that I'm aware. I look at the New York Times app. Sure. But – in terms of Twitter, I go to my Twitter and my Instagram for joy. Mm. Um, and so Twitter has how not been you, joyful lately. How do you do that, Janet? Because I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not clear on the strategy of going to Twitter for joy. How does that well, work? Well, not for anymore. You? Okay. It's not any, like lately, it's, Twitter has not been a space of joy. No, but I it has have, not. I have curated lists of people mm. who do bring me such joy. And so when you have a list that's private, yeah. I can go to just that. So I look that up more than that's I go smart. to like the main feed of all the people that I follow. Oh, I gotta do that because it becomes too consuming for me and. And as I find myself, too, I think I'm also a survivor. I write about it in Surpassing Certainty, my campus sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's just too much to, like, have to relive this and seeing another woman like Anita Hill, right, come forward and have to defend um, herself as if she's on trial. It's just too much for me. Because for some people, it's like it's their first time Mm -hmm. knowing that this was an aspect of humanity. 
but I feel like for you, for me, you know, even mm-hmm. though I, 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 I'm not a survivor of sexual assault, I grew up knowing about Anita Hill. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like these are things that like are not new to me. Mm-hmm. And part of me kind of knows how it's going to play out, you know, and I don't know. But there's something about this one that has because I like you have also really been in an unplugged kind of place because mm-hmm. it's just I felt like I've been reading the same story over and over again. You know, it's like, can you believe he did this? Yes, I can. Yeah. Can you believe this? I absolutely mm-hmm. can. Is he going to get impeached? No, I, I need the next beat right mm-hmm. now. I keep mm-hmm. reading the same episode. Yeah. But, but then I also have the privilege of being able to choose to be unplugged and not yeah. to be aware for a little bit and go into this world where I have, you know, I get paid to create stories yes. and go into another space, right? Um, and so for me, I'm also acknowledge the fact that I've chosen to not be as involved or as vocal mm-hmm. to say that, again, just similarly, like, I don't want to tweet another hashtag of another black trans woman who's been killed, no. right? Like, I just can't do it anymore. And I mm-hmm. think, too, that my sisters and my siblings who follow my work don't really want to engage in that kind of, like, trauma over and over again, yeah. re-traumatizing ourselves of, of a reality that we already know is there. You already know is there. And so it's like, girl, give me a bomb-ass photo of a selfie with you looking gorgeous. Yes. Or like, show me a photo of you and your squad out in the world. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm like liking, 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 Which, liking. by the way, if you need that, Laverne Cox, <laughs> shout out to Laverne. Glam Room Qu- Chronicles. The, yes. Instagra- <laughs> the Instagram is out of pocket, Laverne. Okay? You know what I'm talking about. There's a wind machine involved and a bikini and dance moves. And, and the best Glam Room that I've ever seen. The best. Like, Whatever this glam room is. Oh, we situation. talked about she had it built. I mean, she's for real about it. <laughs> she is and I living love it. her best life. The yes. very best. And through her, so can we. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel you on that. Do you feel like a pressure to talk about these things or to be up on them? You know, I, the reason I'm kind of plugging back in is because I'm in the Dear White People's mm-hmm. Writers Room and we are, you know, we're not a period piece. We are kind of. We never, I don't think the show is quote unquote topical in the like ripped from the headlines mm-hmm. way, but we have to be plugged into the current cultural moment. So these are the, I mean, it's just like, it's back in my life. Well, I was wondering like, do you feel, do or people like, oh, do I feel the check pressure? in for your opinion on these things? You I know? think people, if people would like for me, yes, people tweet mm-hmm. at me all the time and they're like, what is your opinion on this? Mm-hmm. What do you think about this? So I would love your voice in this. Like and it's it. like, <laughs> leave me alone. Like, yeah. I am not here to like represent, um, mm. you know, to represent an opinion to be a mouthpiece. I never have been, but I've kind of been forced just through this the nature of the topics that I talk about, trans people, black people, native people, you know, queer folk, that mm. I'm supposed to be this mouthpiece for all of this stuff. It's never from my own community, though. Sure. Which is so interesting yeah. because I think they get it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's always from people outside who, like, will see you not so much as a person, um, but, but as a representative or a symbol. Well, yeah, especially because I think people are so curious about, you know, mm. w- you know, for, for a lot, I mean, for me, even as a gay boy growing up in the South, you know, really understanding the transgender experience is something mm. that, like, like, took me a few life experiences to get into and to really, like, care and engage. But at the same token, I totally get it. It's like, How did you begin to care and engage? Well, I have a cousin that is transitioning. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a best friend that I've talked about on the show. His name is Deontay. Mm-hmm. He was my boo. And he was insane and crazy and wild. And I would think of, I would describe him as, like, a bag of tropical Skittles. I mean, just <laughs> gay on, fo- like, flame. Just one of the most fun out-of-pocket people ever. But as we, like, you know, grew up together, he would express certain things about his gender to me that, honestly, like, as a 14-year-old, I didn't know what to do with. And I didn't know, you know, how to... I couldn't give any feedback on it because I didn't necessarily have those same feelings. And I don't know if he identified... I don't know how he identified his gender. I think... 
I think we were still in the process of becoming and discovering who we are at that mm-hmm. age. But he passed. Oh. Um, he died very early, and we never got to get to that step, you know. And I think about him often. And I think between him and my cousin, yeah, I just felt the need to educate myself mm-hmm. and to really get it and to understand why it was different than my experience. Mm-hmm. The thing that really blew my mind was actually the Katie Couric documentary. You familiar with it? Oh yeah, it was the National Geographic. I think one. I, I yeah. know. I just found it on Netflix, mm-hmm. and the thing that was for me the most enlightening was the idea that your gender identity, your like how you identify, your gender expression, and your actual, of course, like just physical what you're born, mm-hmm. you know, what genitalia you're mm-hmm. born. Those are separate genes. Mm-hmm. And when I when I got that, <laughs> the whole thing came together for me, you know, and 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 I realized like. Part of the problem, I think, is that we are we forgot a lot of stuff about how human beings are in the world. Like you, you talk. There's a phrase that you you bring up and that I just heard that I was I was telling myself I would pronounce correctly, but I'm not going to try. Uh, but it's sort mahu. of yeah, mahu. Yes, mm-hmm. and it loosely translates to transgender. And it's sort of like it is a to me. There are many different cultures, ancient cultures, that always had Mm -hmm. words and designations for people who didn't fit in the binary. But it's like in America, we forgot all of Mm -hmm. that and Mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to remember again. And and it just felt like, well, of course this is the way, of course this is how we come, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that there are so many more and are so many more possibilities than the two that the, you know, white Christian men came forward to mm-hmm. say that we are supposed to fit into, right? The two options, which is the binary. Um, and so for me, like thinking about my mother's Native Hawaiian culture, the fact that I was able to grow up with an existence of trans women or mahuvahines mm-hmm. who were out in the world, everyday society, one was my hula teacher in seventh mm-hmm. grade, um, Kumu Kauai, and seeing her every day as a gender nonconforming kid myself, not knowing that transness even existed, sure. seeing her that she existed in every day, seeing that she was employed at a job to help young people, just kind of expanded my own openness about mm-hmm. gender. Like, oh, wow, it's not just, you know, my father, who's a Southern black man and his very stringent hyper-masculinity, mm-hmm. or my mother's very, you know, westernized femininity but there's also someone that's kind of in the mix of all of that and that there's so many different kinds of possibilities for us if we choose to allow ourselves to express ourselves in that way yeah and and even then like there's still there's more possibilities still Mm -hmm, you know what i mm -hmm. mean you you sort of you know lena and i was talking about you know she considers herself a soft stud and but Mm -hmm. you know but she also identifies as a woman and as a lesbian and Mm -hmm. i've talked to you know kim pierce about this same Mm -hmm. thing and there's there's so many like gradients of gender identity and expression and sexuality and boy wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to define it you know so early and so stringently Mm -hmm. i mean obviously i think in a culture where you there's not a word for what you are we need those words Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. need those definitions but at a certain point even they aren't enough i don't know do you feel that way i I do and i feel like we also need uh us, you know, when you think about, you know, identity documents or any kind of a, uh, applications that you have to fill out, right? We still only uh, give sure. people two boxes. Sure. And I, I think that we need more space for blank spaces mm-hmm. for people to fill in what they are so that then we can collect all of those things. And, and say, this is and, how people are defining yeah, themselves. Yeah, and that we don't have to just choose from these two options or the many others that are now out there. And mm-hmm. I think that young people largely are leading the way there in terms of um, pushing forward. Even my own uncomfortability about certain aspects of, of 
of gender or not my own uncomfortability, but more about my own experience, right? Mm -hmm. Going beyond myself. You know, I am a binary identified trans woman, right? And so like for me- adjectives. (laughs) More and more labels and words. Um, And so it's like, you know, just hearing, you know, I speak across college campuses and hearing about their different experiences and the ways that they're grappling with being non-binary or agender or, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the different possibilities. I learn so much from young people around that stuff and it expands my own possibility. But it's like you have to give people the space to express that. And I think that so much of what we're grappling with now in our culture is that people are trying to constrict space. They're trying to limit that. I think it's fear. I think largely it's fear. It's fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also unchecked, not only unchecked privilege, but unchecked ignorance. And a lot of people don't, I think, I think a lot of people don't want to examine themselves. Mm. And because gender is such, gender and sexuality are such building blocks for how we relate to other human beings mm-hmm. that when you see someone who's gender non-conforming it it doesn't make you uncomfortable that you're seeing this person and making you uncomfortable about you not never having to ha- have to interrogate who you are uh, in your own gender and so right. i think that it has a lot to do with that and so instead of so asking yourself ask these questions question again it's like i'm a guy or i'm a girl yeah, yeah. you attack or you you try to marginalize or you try to further eliminate that, mm-hmm. right? Eliminate that presence. And I think that also speaks to why there's so many high levels of violence against trans women of color mm. specifically because not only are they trans people or gender nonconforming, but they're also they're also people of color. Mm-hmm. And so I think that on top of that you have the misogyny, of course, and you have the the anti-trans bias, and then you also have the racism. Mm-hmm. And so like this body that is not supposed to exist in any way <laughs> has chosen to exist in the world and take up space and say that I am here and I am yes. deserving. That's why I ride so hard for my sisters. Like, yeah. but it's like it's because of that. It's like that uh, multi-layered right. sense of, and of course, we say words like intersectionality, which is important. But I think it's like this multiple levels of oppression that's in this one body oh. that's existing on the streets. My God, I'm obsessed with you. You should be a writer. Um, <laughs> it, it reminds me of the James Baldwin quote, which I'm going to misquote here. I should really name this show "Misquoting Baldwin" because I think of him often, but I haven't memorized mm-hmm. anything. Uh, but it, he, it was actually in the Michael Jackson documentary mm-hmm. "Bad 25," where he writes about Michael and about the why culture creates freaks, mm-hmm. and he and specifically of black people, of black faces, and he talks about you know it's because they stir up our our worst terrors and our Mm. greatest hopes for ourselves that Mm. we would dare we wouldn't dare speak about Mm. you know so we sort of make a person a target of all of that emotion and all of that feeling the thing that's so interesting about it though is in order to change it you have to be willing to step through i mean when you put out your first book you know i can only imagine what that must the the ecstasy and the fear of that because Mm. you you do become the target at a certain point Mm. of everyone's questioning of everyone's hopes Mm. you know what i mean Mm. it's like can i live you know what i mean (laughs) how do you shake that because you seem really well adjusted to it i have to say um i think i think it's spending i think it's spending my life navigating other people's expectations for me and i think that Mm. we all do this but i think that there's something about even in your own household being questioned yeah um your own authentic feelings being questioned or not persecuted is not the right one but being punished because Mm. of it or finding out that you have to kind of perform in certain ways in order to like just navigate the space of home yeah but i think that for me i remember when my first book came out i was most fearful i think of getting 
not it right, but offering a sort of kind of a blueprint for and a reflection for girls who grew up like I did, mm-hmm. letting them finally see themselves. Because, you know, on bookshelves at that point, there weren't really any popular books, at least. No. I think there were a lot of um, self-published ones, which are powerful and beautiful, like one from Toni Mo- um, Newman and, of course, Hiding My Candy from Lady Chambly. Um, but well, Redefining Realness, I mean, that was a breakthrough in culture. I would Thank say. Thank you. I would say. I mean, no pressure, <laughs> but like you know, it was. It really was a <gasps> for a lot of people. I'd say there were no books by young trans people. There sure. were rarely any by people of color who are trans, and so the fact that my story, I knew my story was going to have to be this symbol mm-hmm. for a lot of people because it was among the first. Uh, absolutely. Um, and so for me, I think I did feel a lot more pressure at that point to feel like I was getting it right and that I said everything correctly, that I presented myself in the right way. And I think that after a while, I just let myself stop performing yeah. because the point wow. of writing that book was not to perform a to semblance or of myself, but to be free and to be truly liberated. And to be truly liberated allows me to express all parts of myself, mm-hmm. the shady part, of course. Yes. Uh, <laughs> My favorite part of any person. <laughs> you know, you know, the glam part of myself, the vain yeah. part of myself, the part of myself that is not open for public dissection mm. or view. And so I think that as I've grown older and older, and of course going through this process of just being a public person, it's how do I protect mm-hmm. the parts of myself that are just for me or oh. just for my people? And I think that that's a challenge all the time, but also showing up authentically in every single space that I go in. Yeah. So if I don't have anything to give in a day, I need to show up empty and that's fine. You know. Do you think the gay movement in quotation mm. marks has kind of left a lot of us behind? <laughs> The gay. I think they've always you know, um, like you know, I, I you get we get asked we get ask our foremothers, you know, Silver Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson, mm, and Miss Major Griffin Gracie, sure. who's still alive today. Um, these questions, you know, and I think that you know, uh, as a trans woman of color myself, it's like. I look to to them and their examples of like always being on the front lines, but always then saying, wait your turn, mm. right? So it's like, we will use your body and your brilliance to go forth and fight the police and resist against all of this brutality that's coming against us. But at the same time, when it comes to us getting rights, you, you should wait your turn yeah. a second, right? And so, yeah, I feel like at least for trans folk, for queer people of color, that yeah, it's always been that way. And even for women within the movement too, yeah. that it's, it's largely been about white cis gay men mm-hmm. who want to protect their own wealth and give their wealth to their families and their loved ones and have access to all of the things that their straight counterparts have access to. And, and to, in my mind, be fully embraced by all that whiteness gets you, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And if you can't enter whiteness, well, sorry, guys. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry, ladies and gents. <laughs> <laughs> we have to take an actual break mm-hmm. because white supremacy has crawled into my throat and is killing me slowly. I need to drink some water. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> On the newest episode of Nocturne, KCRW's podcast about the night. Can you hear that? Can you hear the hum? I woke her up and I said to the wife, can you hear this noise? And she's like, what noise? And she couldn't hear it. It's like a truck engine idling. And when you open the door to see that truck, it's not there. All over the world, people are kept awake by a low-frequency sound with no explanation. That's on the latest Nocturne, wherever you listen to podcasts. We are back. (laughs) (laughs) Don't at me. I ate at McDonald's today. Okay. I got to get into Pose because I'm obsessed with it. I mean, 
Oh, man, y'all are some brave motherfuckers. <laughs> y'all are some brave motherfuckers. For real. Like, mm. for I, my mouth, my jaws hit the floor at the scenarios, you know, the scenes, just the scenes that I'm seeing in the show mm. that are presenting aspects of humanity that I didn't even know about. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, and people that have often not been you know, portrayed in any way, shape, or form on the screen. But not only are they there, fully rendered, but they're having conversations and they're having interactions and they're having life journeys that I have literally never, ever seen, you know, in any medium. Maybe I've read them, you know, or, or heard them, but I've never seen them, especially on a major television network. Okay, for the kids at home who somehow are listening to my podcast of all things and don't know what Pose is, will you tell us what Pose is, Janet? <laughs> yeah, Pose is a series um, late set in late 1980s New York. It follows characters in the ballroom community. The ballroom community has been around since the 19, what, 50s, I think, started by Crystal LaBeja after mm-hmm. she had to deal with racism in white drag balls or mm-hmm. white drag competitions because the black girls were never winning and she was sick and tired of it. You can mm-hmm. watch the Queen documentary mm-hmm. to see her famous burst out, but then she went off and created her own scene, which is now still alive and well today, the yeah. ballroom community. Um, so it's centered around those characters involved there and really centered around Blanca Evangelista, who mm-hmm. goes out and after being diagnosed with HIV, decides that she wants to start her own house so she can leave a legacy behind. So how did this happen? How did Pose come together? <laughs> Pose really came together um, through a script that co-creator Stephen Canals, who's the love of my life, I love, I, become I love like him from afar. Okay. <laughs> by the way, on he, Twitter. So please, kiss he both, is both he of is a special one. Um, yeah, he is awesome. an Afro Latinx queer boy from the Bronx. Mm-hmm. He went to UCLA for screenwriting, and there he wrote a pilot script mm-hmm. for Pose. It was mm-hmm. a different, it was a different story, but mm-hmm. the germination of the idea was. Was all there and that got to Ryan mm-hmm. through a producer named Sherry Marsh mm-hmm. and Ryan Murphy for the for Ryan the Murphy yes got to Ryan Murphy and he and Steven in just the way that Ryan does stuff he's just like yep this is exactly what mm-hmm. I want to do let's get together and do this and so they brought in Brad Falchuk mm-hmm. who's one of Ryan's like greatest you know yep. um, collaborators and the three of them wrote the first two scripts mm. then they invited me into the room and Our Lady J, she was on loan from Transparent for a little bit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. while they were grappling with that drama. Sure. She went mm-hmm. back and came back to us later on uh-huh. <laughs> um, once that shut down. But so that kind of is how Pose came about. And so the first two scripts um, before we shot, I joined the room last August. Uh-huh. We shot the pi- Ryan Murphy directed the pilot in the second episode uh-huh. in November, December. Yes. And so in that time, we were able to break more story and then do a lot of work on editing the first two scripts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of stuff in there that I myself wanted to bring in more of and make more of a focus which was the way that the women would talk about race Mm -hmm. the way that they would talk about their bodies the way that they would talk to each other the semblance of like the love story between Angel and Stan of course again I'm obsessed with romance and so Mm -hmm. a lot of that has been a deep collaboration between me and Brad Falchuk a lot of those scripts that are centered around their two relationships he brings his white straight cis guy stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I bring my you know black you know trans girl stuff to it and then we collaborate around a lot of those scenes and so um, that's kind of the amalgamation of our room and the chemistry of it is really about um, these characters and how we all clash you know Our Lady J is an HIV positive trans woman a white trans woman Ryan's a cis gay you know 
guy. Mm -hmm. Steven is an Afro-Latinx from queer guy from the Bronx. Mm -hmm. I'm a black and Native Hawaiian trans woman and we have our token white straight guy. Yeah. And so like Sure. Is, we, and is and that it, the room or are there other folks in that that's room? That's it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So how long do you guys how how long do you guys take to break story? It depends on where, you know, Ryan is our showrunner. Mm -hmm. um, so it just depends on his his scheduling and his stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But usually we spend a couple hours a day, Monday through Friday, in the room, and then we go off and we write the scripts. Mm. Or we go off and write scenes, or we break different acts. Or if, you know, me and Jay split two episodes, mm -hmm. or one episode, and then she split an episode with, with Steven, and so they went off. But, like, it's usually, like, maybe, like, a few days that we break a story mm -hmm. just getting the beats down and then we flush it out and then we start talking about it and arguing and all that stuff that comes with the process and what is that room like is everybody using the correct pronouns <laughs> is everybody you know politically correct all the time well Steven and yeah everyone actually everyone is really yeah but I don't think it's politically correct because you have to create a space for messiness mm -hmm. and so there is but the also the reason I ask is because yeah. my writer's room is particularly messy <laughs> but all for you know all with love yeah, and, yeah. Just, we're comedy yeah. writers, so we're but it's assholes. also like, but you, you too also know that it's like, and we're writing a drama, right? So mm -hmm. it's a little different, and it's very, it can be kind of touchy feely. We like mm. cut ourselves open, we put it all out there, yes, but you do. also know you do it in a space of like, this is a private, sacred space that we won't share with anyone else, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, largely for for me, the exercise was to be open and mm -hmm. like to answer questions that I would never answer in my activism mm. public space life like yes. i've told people not to ask those questions of trans sure. people but in this space i have to answer those questions if i want to help really flush out the reality of each particular woman on the show mm -hmm. right because i write i write a lot of the the scenes that the women are in right mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and so because we have five trans women who are five trans women of color who yes. are series regulars in the leads of our show in addition to you know the excellence that is billy porter Dear God. Dear God. <laughs> like, who has had this talent on tap all these years and has been untapped and never given the right opportunity to really let it show I on can't. camera? I can't. Okay? <laughs> Sorry, I just broke up to a flop sweat. The scene, the scene when they're at the clinic and everyone is getting their status mm -hmm. tore me in two. Thank you. That okay. was my episode. <laughs> Tore me yeah, in two. And it was so real and well rendered, and I've never seen it. You know, it's like I know that that's a reality, but I've never seen it dramatized. Mm -hmm. He is a national treasure. Jesus Christ, so good. Yeah. Everyone in that show is so good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, they are. I remember feeling it like the first time. I think the majority of them was in a, were in a scene together during. It was the first episode, and um, it was a scene where the House of Evangelista <laughs> loses that battle. Mm -hmm. And Praetel comes out mm -hmm. and they're all licking their wounds, right? It's um, Ryan Jamal Swain and MJ Rodriguez and India Moore. They're sitting out there and they're just like, we just lost. And, da -da -da -da. and then, you know, Billy Porter comes out with a feather in his cap, Ugh. literally a feather in his cap. And it's like, truth be told, I thought you guys would get worse scores. Like, and just reads them to filth. I love it. And then this little kid runs out, played by um, Angel Bismarck Curiel, little poppy. And he's just like, how do oh, I join your house? So good. You know, how do I join your house? Go collect your things and come right back here. The house of Evangelista welcomes any lost soul. Uh-uh. We got rules. No drugs. No gentlemen callers. And anything you mop belongs to the community. 
Don't leave. Uh-huh. I'll be back in five minutes. You want a reason to keep going on after tonight? There it go, right there. Houses are homes to all the little boys and girls who never had one. And they keep coming every day, just as sure as the sun rises. Pull up. Work harder. Triumph. If not today, maybe tomorrow. Now daddy needs a drink. And that scene there, like that was like, I remember crying watching it. And it's not a deeply emotional scene, but there was something about the way that Billy, as the adult on our show, because mm. everyone's so young on the series, as the adult on our show, tells them why we have houses, why the ballroom scene's there, why we have chosen family and community. Now, for the, I, this is a spoiler, but I got to talk about the finale of the mm. show, because I thought uh, it was so bold. Let me tell you why. Because two acts were in the ballroom? Just kidding. No. <laughs> The the audacity of a happy ending on cable in a drama for peop, trans people of color, it's audacious because every dramatic instinct that I think I have or that a cable network would have or whatever is to end it, you know, in tragedy. So that it's like a page turner so that you like can't wait to see what happens next. But to see them all literally as a family at the end honestly, was really fucking bold. Did you know that at the time? <laughs> you know, we had darker visions for the show before mm. we shot the pilot and met the actors. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they deeply informed our view of what we thought the tone of the show was. Mm. At first, we were going to go deep, dark, gritty drama. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we realized... Which you don't... It's not like you don't do no, that, by oh, the way. Well, how many characters have fucking HIV before <laughs> yeah. you have to be like, HIV, you know, this is, you know, reality. Relationships break up because of surgery. It's a whole thing, okay? <laughs> don't get it twisted. Yes, yes, Y'all go is. there. <laughs> but I think that we wanted to give... Uh, we wanted to talk about how people were able to survive. Mm -hmm. And you can't survive just solely by concentrating on all the drama the traumatic things that happened mm -hmm. to you. Looking at my own life, I had to think about the points in which it could have gone darker or it could have been that cliffhanger of a page turn and mm -hmm. instead someone came in with an act of kindness. Mm. And so I think that for us, we're always trying to figure out what are those ways in which we can give an affirmation to specifically the folks who really showed up for the show, right? Which are a lot of queer people of color mm. that showed up for this, queer and trans people of color who showed up for this show. They know the gritty realities of their lives. They live that every single day. Yeah. But what would it look like for us to make a slight little turn and say, here is a semblance of hope, a semblance of love, of family, of mm -hmm. dreaming, of reaching and possibilities, right? That your wins can be a small trophy mm -hmm. and that because we understand the stakes that you go through, that we understand Yes. the semblance of winning that for yes. mother of the year yes. for yes. A, a character yes. you know who you loved who's yes. building a house you know all of these things and so for us we the show became a family drama yes that's what we realized yeah. it was like we didn't know that at first going in right but that's what it became and so you end a family drama with a family dinner you don't end it with a girl getting picked up on the piers or found strangled on her bed you don't do that you right don't. like and so that would have been a betrayal and I will I will be honest and give credit where credit is due. Yeah. That was Ryan. Yeah. Um, me and Steven in the room, we were fighting against 
I remember from the very beginning, he was like, I think that this tone, mm. it's a tricky tone. Because like, mm-hmm. he was also directing the first two episodes. Yep. So he was constantly in the world and like thinking about tone and like looking at cuts and, you mm-hmm. know, from our editorial department. And we're just like, he was in it in ways that we weren't. Mm. And so we were, as writers, wanting to write the most compelling Well, by story. the way, that would have worked too. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. But what I love what you said, though, is that he is the showrunner, but at the same time, you had to fight. You fought for your perspective. Mm, yeah. Did you? Did you like come in with that chutzpah? Did you come in with that? I didn't. I came in as a. You know, I'm trained as a journalist, yeah. so I came in as an observer. Okay. At first, yeah. And I think that my natural inclination to sit back and watch was there maybe for the first couple weeks. Mm. I wasn't used to like this room in which everyone's kind of talking and, you know, Ryan's sitting and he's holding court and then everyone's talking and sharing and da da da. And I just was kind of like. It took me a while to get to find my voice in the room. And so I cheated by putting myself on the page. Mm. And then I, Ryan's just a very smart, intuitive person. He saw that. And so that was the process for me coming out Mm. in the room before I then grew more comfortable and could trust the people in the room that they were not there to harm me, that I don't need to, like, this is a safe space. And then I became more vocal. And I think that that's when things shifted and changed. So how do you stay grounded in that process? Do you have like a spiritual situation? Is it a girl's night? Is it a text chain? Like, how do you keep it together? Do you keep it together? I think I do keep it together. I work out. Uh-huh. I journal in the morning, mm. every morning. It's, you know, the morning pages from... You do the, the morning pages? I do. Yes. I've done them for since 2009. They're so helpful. Um, and, and so they're great. And just for the kids at home, um, who's the author again? Julia Cameron. Julia Cameron, morning pages, three handwritten mm-hmm. stream of consciousness yes. pages every And morning. I dump everything out. All, everything. Yeah. Like all of the most petty things that I feel and they're gone and they're, they allow me to be creative. I check emails. I go straight to the gym. Whether that's <sighs> what a time of day? Camp, what time of day are we? Yoga. What time oh, of day? I'm, I'm like a, I'm being honest. I'm like a, 10 o'clock workout girl. Okay. So like I don't have to go to an office right away. Okay. So I have it. And then my day really starts. Okay. 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 Because Ryan's rooms don't start to the afternoon. Oh, they don't? Mine start in the morning, Janet. <laughs> Do they go late at night? Miss Ryan Murphy is very balanced when it comes to her lifestyle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, so will you let Ryan know that I'm going to need him on the show? You need a mentor? (laughs) Yeah, I just need him on... Well, I have a mentor, but, you know, Miss Yvette uh, Lee Bowser be holding me down. But But comedy's a different machine, though. The balance part, though, just in my life, though. Because Ryan be doing way more than anybody I know. Like, to me, like, the most prolific people I know is, like, Lena Waithe and Ryan Murphy. I don't really yeah. know Ryan Murphy. But, like, I need to know the balance. Because he's got children. And yes. it's like a whole thing. He knows Nene yeah. Leaks. Like, how does he keep it all together? All right, <laughs> he so knows he, Nene Leaks. He's got to come on just for me. Yes. I got to get my life together. You need to have him on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you watching right now? Like, what's, what? what's your turn off TV? I just finished binging Game of Thrones. Oh. Wait, the, la- the latest season? No, all of it. Oh I've never watched God. it. I watched all of it. During hiatus, that's what I watched. I was like, whoa. I really wanted, I was like, I really wanted to get into why just too many people in my life who I trust and love uh-huh. love the show. Yes. <laughs> and so it became that thing where it was like, am I just being a hater that I'm not watching it? Right. Or am I and then I, I got into the world. Like after season two, I was just like, I was in. I was like, okay. It it is like a it's a slow burn, but once you're in, man, it's a whole situation. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually like caught like up when Beyonce quoted it at her CFDAs that she was like Daenerys or something. I was like, "What oh. is she talking about?" My mother and my uncle Johnny, God bless his soul, designed all of our first costumes and made each piece by hand, individually sewing hundreds of crystals and pearls 
putting so much passion and love into every small detail. When I wore these clothes on stage, I felt like Khaleesi. <laughs> I had an extra suit of armor. I, it was so much deeper than any brand name. Then you knew. That's when the click was in my head. I was like, she's spending her free time watching, watching Game, Game of Thrones. Of Thrones. Like, I was like, she ain't got no free time. I know, and I'm like, what is my problem? <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, let's see. We have some responses here from the kids. Um... Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm so glad someone asked this question because I actually, I forgot to ask you. Um, so Brandy Brooks writes, she's one of my Instagrammers, Instagram followers. Um, she wants to know, how did you get to collab on the Negro Swan album mm. with Dev, Blood Orange? And she also loves the album and everything that you do. Oh, <laughs> me and Dev have been friendly internet friends for a couple years now. Uh-huh. And Dev Hines texted me and said, I'm wrapping up my album. Will you come in and do some spoken word? And mm. I said, I don't do poetry. I'm not your girl. I don't even like some, like, it's not, it's not me. No. Don't at me. And then he was, <laughs> I was like, love you, but this is not my lane. Um, and he was like, no, 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 no. It won't be like that. Trust me. And so then I got to his studio in Chinatown. He gave me a journal and I sat um, and listened to each song. He told me the theme of the song and why he wrote it. And then Based on that, I prompted and wrote a page of stuff mm. um, for each song that he presented to me. And then I recorded it and just said it to him mm -hmm. as if I was reading it to him because I was reading it to him for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then that was the audio he used. I did not know he was going to use that much audio wow. from the stuff. I had no idea he was going to present me as he calls me the narrator in the credits wow. like of Negro Swan. And yeah. so... That's how it came together. It was very organic and very, very dev. That's yeah. how he is. He's very like, you feel like you're just coming in to like sit down and like read some stuff. You and then all of a participated sudden. participated in the art. And then I'm like, am I going to get a Grammy too if this wins? Yes, <laughs> Grammys. Come on, Egon. It's, it's, we're going to do this. I love it. Okay, uh, one last question from the internet. Uh, this one is from that one artsy person. Okay, that's their name. Uh, and they want to know, <laughs> this is a don't at me for me, but they want to ask you, why do I have to wait so long for post-season two? It's driving me crazy. Love you, though. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even have a release date for season okay. two. But it's like our show literally just finished airing yeah. in July. When like, are we getting it, Janet? Why haven't you we been go working in, we on it? We go into the room on Monday. Okay. <laughs> we start season two of Pose. Uh -huh. We have our ideas. We're going to get more episodes this season, so you, you'll be satiated. Yes. Um, but it likely won't come out to next spring or summer. Right. I hate when people are like, do, <laughs> do, do they people... know how long it takes to make That's a show? That's what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> 10 isn't enough. Why can't we get more? You want to know why you can't get more than 10? Because my entire year has been spent making these 10 episodes. Anything else you want to get off your chest before we uh, wrap this up? Any don't at me's for you? Any like... No, just I, just really grateful for you sharing this space with me, to oh be honest. God, I've been wanting to it. meet you forever and so Same. like this is just a perfect excuse um where can people find you should you want to be found on the social medias? instagram is my favorite so at mm -hmm. janet mock also twitter at janet mock okay i have got to thank and show so much gratitude to my guest janet mock i know you guys love that that was awesome thank you janet thank you to our producers gina delvac and kara hart our production engineers, Garrett Lang and Ray Warner. A special thanks to Vishnu Vallabhanani and Josh Jacobs. Of course, I have to shout out the head of programming, Quinn O'Toole. Chris Bowers created our fabulous theme song, This Is Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. Look, 
I struggle with naming things. I want you to add me, okay? <laughs> if you like the show or you want to think piece me, whatever, you just do it. But you have to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave a review. I want to hear from you. I'm dying to hear from you, and I want to involve you in these conversations. We'll be back next week with another episode of Don't At Me from the one and only KCRW. KCRW.